Coming out of their bye week and set to face the Bengals, the Seahawks are clearly team number two in the NFC West in the standings. But do they have what it takes to be a viable threat to the 49ers as the season progresses? Rob Rang and I'll be discussing and debating here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week, whether you're listening in nearby Salton, Washington, or over on the other side of the country, north of the border in Montreal, Canada. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you. We are now officially back into game week mode. We're going to be taking a deeper dive into the Cincinnati Bengals, what to expect on offense and defense from Joe Burrow and company. Plus, we'll be dishing out our first quarter report cards for Seattle's rookie class, all their draft picks, and of course, a couple of select undrafted rookie free agents as well. It's going to be a jam-packed episode brought your way by our friends at Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code Locked in NFL for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. Even though the Seahawks didn't play this past weekend, they were beneficiaries of two of the three teams within the NFC West losing their matchups. The LA Rams losing to the Philadelphia Eagles and the Arizona Cardinals dropping a matchup to the Bengals, the same team the Seahawks will be playing this upcoming weekend. And with that, the Seahawks were able to distance themselves a little bit further from the pack in terms of being able to stick with the San Francisco 49ers, still a game and a half out of first place. But Rob, this really was a tale of two different things. We're looking at what the Seahawks were able to watch this week. The Rams looked very susceptible at times. They were playing a very good football team. Obviously the Cardinals, they're playing hard, but the lack of talent is coming through in a lot of these games where they're not able to finish. So those two teams, they're now both under 500. But on the other side of the coin, the 49ers, they look like an unbeatable juggernaut right now. The way that they beat down the Cowboys 42 to 10 on Sunday night football. And one of our listeners yesterday in the mailbag asked, is there a legitimate reason to believe the Seahawks can actually make this interesting with how good the 49ers look? And I do think that it's something that is worth exploring a little more now that we are heading into the meat of the season. And we're starting to get an idea what all of these teams look like, even if they haven't fully developed their identities yet. No, exactly. That was the thing is that that was an excellent question. And thank you as always to everybody who, uh, who gives us these questions. And I have to admit, I mean, as, as I said yesterday, I, I was very impressed by what the San Francisco 49ers have been able to do. And of course we all know the Super Bowl is going to be played several months from now. It's obviously not played right now. There's, there's a lot of teams, uh, that look good in October that, you know, tail off by the time you get 
to February. But at the same time, the 49ers just look like the best team in all of football right now. So I think that if you are watching on YouTube, and again, thank you so very much if you are doing so, then you see the way that we have this broken down. It's pretty logical. You get the 49ers in first place, the Seahawks in second place, the Rams in third, the Cardinals in fourth. That's the way that it is in terms of NFL standings. That's the way that it is from the eye test as well. Uh, I, I think that the 49ers just are above and beyond. I mean, the, the offense is clicking. The defense is clicking. They are just playing quality football right now. You can make an argument that had Brock Purdy not gone down a year ago, then they would have been the NFC representative in the Super Bowl a, a season ago, perhaps even beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, you know, And then obviously the Seahawks have played very well against the 49ers at times. But at the same time, you also have some concerns about whether or not they're going to be able to hold up to the, the word you use or juggernaut. That's absolutely what the 49ers feel. And, and I have my own reservations, frankly, about putting the Seahawks ahead of the Rams because obviously in the one opportunity that the Seahawks had against the Rams, they wound up as the winner at, at Lumen Field of all places. So that's the thing is that I do believe that there is the, the Rams and the Seahawks at number two and number three, I think is actually more of a conversation than the Seahawks perhaps being able to jump up and play against the 49ers. And the Cardinals, I think that you articulated it well. They're, they're, they're playing very hard. They, they are, this, is a, a, this is a team that has some talent. It just doesn't feel like it has quite as much talent as the rest of the clubs in the NFL. Their head coach, Jonathan Gannon, has got, their, has got the Cardinals playing pretty good football, though. Um, and I, I think that when you look at what they have at the quarterback position, that this is a club that, um, you know, again, is lacking talent, but not lacking heart. And they're going to surprise some people this year. So I, I do think that, again, it, there's a pretty clear delineation between number one and number four in the NFC West. But I also think that, again, what we're seeing in October does not necessarily mean what's going to happen when it's all said and done in this division. Yeah, as Pete Carroll said yesterday after Seattle's quick Monday practice, again, this is still a phasing in period four or five games into the year where teams are still trying to figure out who they are. There's still identity building going on in offense and defense. Even the 49ers, you can make that argument to an extent on the defensive side of the football because they have a few new faces over there. They're still meshing. It's still a very good defense, obviously. And some of the newcomers they added, like Javon Hargrave, we know are already really darn good football players. So that football team even has some things that they are working on. But they look to be the most polished machine to this point by a pretty wide margin. And so – I think I would tend to agree with you that the Seahawks right now, if we're having this discussion, it's more about them and the Rams battling for that number two spot than Seattle battling for number one. The good news for the Seahawks, though, Rob, is they don't have to play the 49ers until late November. So we've got several weeks here where the Seahawks can continue to try to improve on a number of the areas we talked about in yesterday's episode. Can they get better on third down on both sides of the ball? Can they get better at finishing drives on both sides of the ball? Are they going to be able to cut down on some of those pre-snap penalties, some of the missed tackles? Can they just get better across the board? And they're going to be getting healthier. That's certainly going to help, particularly in the offensive line. So there is time here, luckily, where with them playing the 49ers both times late in the schedule, they're hoping they're going to have that entire offensive line ready to go. And they'll have Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas and hopefully no other major injuries on offense. And if they're able to come in with their full 
the full arsenal of receivers, running backs, and their offensive line, along with Geno Smith, then that gives the Seahawks a chance with that skill uh, talent that they've got to be able to at least compete with the 49ers. I do think that they have closed the gap a little bit, but I would tend to agree with you that that gap right now, heading into week six, it does feel bigger between the 49ers and everybody else than it does the Seahawks and the rest of the pack behind them in the NFC West. Yeah, it absolutely does. And uh, again, I think that when you look at the the way that the rest of the teams shape up, they, again, the Rams obviously are getting, are getting a one of their absolute best players in Cooper Cup back onto the field. He performed, uh, you know, just this past weekend. Um, they made the big trade, not big trade necessarily from a lot of people's perspectives. I think it's a big trade because again, it tests the depth of their receiving core when they shipped off Van Jefferson, a former starting wide receiver, traded him off um that that's putting an awful lot of pressure on cooper cup to come back and remain on the field for the rams for puka nakua uh you know the the splashy rookie to be able to continue his stellar performance so i think that it's a it's a gutsy trade by the la rams um and then you look at the cardinals and again joshua dobbs has you know played pretty well uh for the arizona cardinals here and i think that is kind of inspiring their team to to play um a little bit better than some people predicted I mean, they, they were bas- there's a lot of expectations out there that the Cardinals were basically going to go winless and they were, they were going to be part of the, the Caleb Williams or Drake May conversation, perhaps being the number one overall team uh, selecting a year ago. Well, you know, tell the Cardinals uh, that, you know, they are playing like that is their plan. They are playing with physicality, with some efforts. I agree with the way that you articulate it. You can see the talent disparity really come through, though, in the second half. So to me, this is it's fortunate for the Seahawks that they don't have to play the 49ers soon. They are going to be able to hopefully, from a Seattle perspective, be able to get in be- get better because they have such a young team. And the 49ers, on the other hand, have such a veteran-laden team, except for the quarterback, of course, and Brock Purdy. The Cardinals also have a very young team. They're also expecting to improve. And the Seahawks are going to be playing them a little bit sooner. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Seahawks can hold serve, then they should be able to make a legitimate playoff run and perhaps uh, be able to capitalize. Should the 49ers stumble along the way but uh you know that that remains to be seen the Seahawks have some formidable opponents coming up including the Bengals of course this weekend yeah these next few weeks are going to be critical because we've talked time and time again about that stretch when they play the 49ers twice they also have a game against the Cowboys in between those two games and then they play the Eagles at home after that that is the four game gauntlet the Seahawks have late November early December so they want to win as many games they can leading into that stretch because that is going to be really difficult. That's going to be the most challenging part of their schedule, obviously, with the two games against the 49ers. So if you want to win this division, you want to keep pace with 49ers, you got to keep winning against other teams like the Cleveland Browns, the Bengals this upcoming weekend, their first matchup against the Cardinals. They're going to be coming in to Lumen Field looking for the upset. They've been playing tough all year. So there's no easy game that the Seahawks cannot afford to slip up if they want to win in the NFC West with how good the 49ers are. They are going to have to be able to keep stride with them by continuing to win until those two teams battle each other twice in a three-week span. Coming up next, we're going to dish out our first quarter rookie report cards 
all the draft picks, as well as a couple select undrafted rookies. Don't go away. You are listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks, which is brought you away by our friends over at Game Time. If you've ever been on the hunt for sports and concert tickets at the last minute, the process can be anxiety-provoking. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful, and Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. If you're wanting to see the Seahawks battle the Bengals this weekend in Cincinnati using Game Time's awesome flash deals feature and a detailed stadium map, you can find excellent seats right now for under 65 bucks, and it's super easy. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event, and the Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section in a row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code Locked in NFL for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code Locked on NFL for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, my co-host in crime, Rob Ryan, and I, Rob Ryan, excuse me, I can't even say your name today. We both greatly appreciate all the 12s that make Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Make sure to check out tomorrow our Matchup Wednesday series returns. We've got Seahawks versus Bengals, a lot of really fun matchups on both sides of the football that we will be diving into leading up to Sunday's game in Cincinnati. You won't want to miss it. Let's get to our final first quarter report card. We've looked at awards. We've looked at positional groups. But we got to talk about the rookies, and it has been another season where the Seahawks have gotten strong contributions from their incoming rookie class, particularly players in the first couple of rounds. There have been a few players that maybe haven't lived up to the hype to this point, but several of these players have done a good job of contributing to Seattle's 3-1 and start. Most notably, top five pick Devin Witherspoon, even not playing in the season opener against the Rams. They certainly missed him in that game. He has been a game wrecker since coming into the lineup. Defensive player of the week in the NFC in week four against the Giants. Witherspoon's been as good as advertised, if not better so far, and he is still getting his feet underneath him just three games into his NFL career. Yeah, that's the thing is that, uh, you know, I I want to give him an A because what you've seen from him in the three games in which he's played certainly deserves an A. It deserves an A plus. But the fact that he was unable to play in the season opener against the Rams, the fact that he did give up the long touchdown um, in his NFL debut against the Detroit Lions, I think that you have to, uh, you know, drop the grade down slightly, um, you know, but still he's been absolutely spectacular for the Seahawks. I mean, the fact that he is in only his third NFL, NFL game, of course, was voted uh, as the best defensive player in all of the NFL this past week. I, I think just kind of proves that the Seahawks, uh, you know, made quite a quite an astute decision at number five overall, at least over the course of the first month of the season. Yeah, I couldn't give him an A because of that flea flicker that he got burned on in Detroit. And there's been a few missed tackles. He hasn't been perfect, but he's been close. The game-changing plays, the 97-yard interception return, a couple sacks that he's had, 
getting 13 targets against Carolina, only giving up five catches, almost had a couple picks in that game. He has been as good as advertised with that number five overall pick. Now, there are other first-round selections, Jackson Smith and Jigba, hasn't even gotten to 70 receiving yards yet in the first four games of the season. Now, you and I have talked about this a couple times in our mailbag and in other segments, but I don't think all this falls on Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think that some of it's been the offense, the way they're doing things. I think Smith and Jigba's at his best when he's running intermediate to deep crossers. That is where he torched people in college. Those are long developing routes, though, and with three or four backup linemen in, I feel like that's been something Shane Waldron has been avoiding uh, out of necessity. So I still feel like Jackson Smith and Jigba's got a chance to really turn things around, but I'm giving him a C- minus right now just because of limited production. You could maybe even go a D because of where the production's at, but again, I don't think all of that falls on the player. There have been schematic things, and he was coming off wrist surgery as well, so I still am optimistic that this kid's going to turn things around. And there have been a few plays where you've seen some of his talent, but we haven't seen them utilize him to his best at this point. Yeah, you just made the argument of why I gave him a C minus, or excuse me, a C. It's just because of the fact that I just think that he has played average at this point. Now, sure, the expectations were higher, but the wide receiver that was selected one pick after him, Los Angeles Chargers, selected Quentin Johnston. Um, you know, he has not been much more productive at this point. There certainly have been some wide receiver, rookie wide receivers who have been more productive. Uh, you know, but at the same time, I, I think that. For all of the reasons that you just articulated, the fact that um, Seattle's offense basically has had one arm tied behind their back with the two offensive tackles struggling with injury, that is absolutely changing the way that Shane Waldron is calling plays. Uh, you know, that you're, you're not seeing Jackson Smith and Jacob do really what he does best. Now, I've also tried to mention the fact that I just didn't don't think that this is a dynamic athlete. I think this is a better football player than a, dyna a dynamic athlete. And that is going to take some time for him to be able to kind of acclimate to the NFL, develop that rapport uh, with, with Geno Smith. I And then finally, the wrist surgery, as you mentioned. So to me, there's a number of factors of why I do believe that when it's all said and done, JSN is going to wind up getting a better grade than what he has currently. But still, at this point, I think that he's been average at best. Let's look at the two second rounders now. One of those picks, the last one coming in the Russell Wilson trade being Derek Hall, the edge rusher, as well as Zach Charbonnet. The second year in a row, Seattle drafted a running back in the second round. Starting off with Hall, I'm going to give him a B minus. And some might say, well, that's kind of a high grade. But part of that is because he seems to be an ascending player these last couple games for the Seahawks. He led the team in quarterback pressures against the New York Giants. With all the sacks they had, he didn't get any of those, but he led the team in pressures. He had two big quarterback hits. One of them led to an interception in the fourth quarter for Quandre Diggs, and I've seen some flashes against the run in his limited playing time. So I feel like he's starting to get in a little bit of a rhythm. They've been playing him on both sides of the line, and you can see the motor. You can see the effort, the athleticism. I think his first sack is going to be coming very soon, maybe even coming up this upcoming week against Cincinnati. He's been getting very close. I like what I'm seeing. It just I want to see him finish. That's why I can't give him better than a B minus. We haven't seen that sack yet or many finishing plays against the run. And as for Charbonnet, he has over 100 rushing yards and limited snaps as the number two running back. He's averaging five yards a carry. He's been breaking tackles left and right. And oh, by the way, he's one of the best pass protecting backs in the NFL right now. And it's not just pro football focus grading him out that way. I've watched a ton of tape. This kid is stonewalling blitzers. 
in the backfield. He has done a phenomenal job as a third down back. We haven't seen the pass catching aspect come yet, which is why I'm not going higher than a B with him. But I love what I'm seeing with the physical downhill running and the pass protection has been outstanding so far. Yeah, it really has. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll just jump in with Charbonnet just here for a moment. Uh, I gave him a B plus. I think that he has been spectacular at this point. Uh, you know, I think the only reason that he doesn't have an A is because he's not getting much playing time because you have an absolute superstar playing ahead of him and Ken Walker the third. He's been every bit the back that I thought that he would be, and that's why I grade him as number two back, not number three. A lot of people grade him as number three back in this draft class. I had him above the Detroit Lions early first round pick Jameer Gibbs because I saw that physicality dating back to his time at Michigan as well as at UCLA. So I just thought that he was the perfect selection for the Seahawks because they already had a dynamic make you miss type of player and Kenneth Walker. And then of course, I think the Zach Charbonnet just brings a little bit more physicality that the, frankly, I thought that the Seahawks were lacking in the running game a year ago. I went a little bit lower with Derek Hall B minus, I believe was actually the exact same grade that you gave Corbin and you're right. I mean, the, the young man right now has seven tackles. I mean, seven tackles in four games is hard to make an argument that he should be ranked, get a, a higher grade than this. I just love the physicality that he's demonstrating in the running game. And I agree with you. I think that you're going to see him finish off some of these pass rushes pretty soon here. Yeah, I think that he's a kid that in the second half of the season, and I know that we still have 13 games left to play, but I think as the year progresses, he's going to be one of the rookies that really takes off because we have seen those splashy plays. Now, with the day three selection, Seattle once again has had several of these guys contribute. I want to start off with one of my highest grades that I have for this entire draft class so far, and that is Anthony Bradford, who has been thrust into action in three of these first four games. And Rob, you and I, normally we are not this in sync with grades, but you and I both gave a B plus for Anthony Bradford. And I just love the physicality that I'm seeing from this guy. And Leonard Williams, he was getting underneath his skin last Monday night. And there's a reason that there was some post-snap, post-whistle uh, theatrics going on out there where Williams is coming after him because he didn't like it that this rookie was owning him in the line of scrimmage. And that's what's happening. He was driving him off the ball. He did it on one of Ken Walker III's touchdowns. He's been really solid in pass protection. He's getting better every game he's out there. And Phil Haynes, he better get back in the lineup because right now Anthony Bradford's thinking, I want to play. And even Ola Timmy, the fifth-round pick, I'm giving him a B. He hasn't played a ton of snaps, but no pressure so far in pass protection. He had a nice block in the second game of the season that sprung Ken Walker the third for a touchdown. So both these rookies with the ability to get in the line of all these injuries, they've taken advantage and they've played pretty well to this point. They, they really have. And you said it. I mean, they both were pushed into the starting lineup because of injuries. And so maybe that's part of the reason why we're giving them these lofty grades. I agree with you. I gave a B plus to Anthony Bradford, a B for Ola with Timmy. Um, you know, I, I think that at least for me with Anthony Bradford, there is a specific time where I was at the Seahawks training camp and I saw him walking around and he looked heavy. He looked disinterested. I had zero expectations of him at that point. It was the exact opposite of what I I saw on his LSU tape where I saw a mauler. 
I saw a guy who just would, would physically take the soul uh, of the, his opponent. And that's the way he is played here. So, again, I've kind of gone back from absolutely loving Anthony Bradford's college tape to being disappointed with what I saw of him in person, my own eye test at training camp, to then you see some flashes in the, in the preseason as well as the regular season where he has kind of reverted back to that type of player. I think it just kind of speaks to his, his competitiveness. Maybe he's not the kind of guy that you want out there running sprints and things like that. But still, when you actually strap it on and play a little bit of football, this guy absolutely answers the bell. So very, very encouraging signs from him. And Ola, to me, to me, he has just been exactly what the what we all expected, basically. I mean, this is a five-year starter at the college level. Um, you know, was the Remington Award winner. Um, you know, and so, again, you kind of expected him to be able to come into the NFL and be successful. If Evan Brown had not been playing as well as he would have, I think that Olavatimi would be starting for the Seahawks and playing pretty damn good football um, if the Seahawks needed him to do so. Now, let's real quick look at the two players where we had the biggest discrepancy in terms of grades. Now, we're not going to give grades for Kenny McIntosh or Mike Morris. Even though Morris did play in a game, uh, he's out for the season. And Kenny McIntosh, we don't know when he's going to be back. So that creates a little bit of an issue for trying to put together grades. Really, it's an incomplete report card. They haven't been in class to this point. But this is the biggest discrepancy for us, Rob. Cameron Young, a defensive tackle, I gave him a B and you gave him a C. And I guess I will make my argument why I gave Cam Young this good of a grade. I have loved the effort that I have seen from this kid in every game he's played in. It seems like he has taken it up a notch. And he almost had a 12th sack for the Seahawks in that game on Monday night. And if he wouldn't have been held, they didn't call the hold there, it probably would have been a sack on Daniel Jones. But he has been flying all over the field for a 320-plus pound defensive tackle. I've seen him go down the line towards the sideline and help make plays. I've seen him rush the passer way better than I thought he was going to. I've got four pressures for him already this year. So I've been very encouraged and considering that he missed the entire preseason, really, for him to come out and play the way that he has. He's held up against the run as well. I've liked what I've seen. Maybe not the flash plays. That's never been his game, but he's done a pretty good job as a backup nose tackle to this point. Oh, he absolutely has. I mean, he's a, he's a junkyard dog, just like, uh, you know, Jaron Reed is. I mean, I, I was so excited when the Seahawks re-signed Jaron Reed. I mean, to me, he is one of the most physical and uh, just hardworking players in all of the NFL. And I think that he has been, you know, just terribly underrated for an awful long time. And uh, again, I, I saw the same kind of thing with Cameron Young. So maybe this is, again, it kind of goes back to my expectations. I thought that he would be able to come in and be a productive football player. I, I guess I, I'm just not surprised um, that he is playing well when given the opportunity. I, I thought that he had a chance to, to be Seattle's starting nose guard when the belief was that Jaron Ree was going to be playing outside at that defensive end position. Instead, the Seahawks wound up signing Mario Edwards Jr., of course, moving Jaron Reed inside, and uh, you know the rest is history, as they say. But I, I am not surprised at all that Cameron Young is proving to be a big physical presence in the middle for the Seahawks. He only has the four tackles at this point, so he doesn't have eye-poppy numbers, but the Seahawks right now are ranked, I believe, second or third most, um, you know, the, the, the most physical and, and, and most... And, 
I can't think of the word I want to use. Um, you know, in terms of the running defense, they are absolutely not allowing much yardage um, per running attempt. And I think that the rookie Cameron Young is a big part of that because again, he is as broad and as strong as he is. He is just kind of playing that role that I think that he is physically very well suited and mentally very well suited to perform at. And the other draft pick, the other pick the Seahawks made on day three that we're going to give a grade out for, I gave a B-plus to Jarek Reed. And the reason that I gave him that high of a grade, he's actually been getting some snaps in sub packages on defense, but he leads this football team in tackles on special teams by a very wide margin. Right now he's got five. Nobody else has more than two. And he had that huge hit on Khalif Raymond in the Detroit game for no gain on a punt. And he's had a couple other really nice tackles. I've been encouraged by the limited snaps he's had on defense as well. Clearly, the Seahawks have enough confidence to put him out there with some of the injuries they've had. So I think he is, considering expectations and how he started the preseason off, he's really built off that finale against the Packers. And uh, I thought that he has – I feel like he's looked pretty impressive for a sixth-round pick here early in the season. We'll talk some free agent, undrafted free agents down the line, but we need to get to the Cincinnati Bengals. Up next, we're going to be looking at some X's and O's, some personnel stats behind enemy lines. What to expect from the Bengals on offense and defense. Don't go away. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks, which is brought your way by our friends over at FanDuel. Get ready for week six in the NFL with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spread, such as the Seahawks being a three-point underdog, getting ready to face the Bengals this weekend. Player props, such as Geno Smith's MVP odds, over-unders, and much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Don't forget tomorrow, it's the return of Matchup Wednesday. We'll be diving into the key matchups, Seahawks versus Bengals. You won't want to miss it. Watch it on YouTube or listen wherever you get your podcast. Speaking of the Bengals, they're coming off their best performance so far this year, improving their record to 2-3 and three with a 34-20 to 20 win over the Cardinals. For a little while in that game, Arizona had the lead, but that's been the story of the Cardinals season this year. They have not been able to find ways to play four quarters, and that talent discrepancy has shown up. And Joe Burrow, for the first time in 2023, looked like Joe Burrow. He's been battling a calf injury, and that is obviously the biggest storyline, Rob, going into this game, because if Joe Burrow's healthy, he is a top-five quarterback, and this will be the first time the Seahawks have had to face him in the NFL certainly going to be a challenge for the secondary and for the pass rushers trying to get after it. Yeah, I was remiss. In yesterday's show at Corbin, I, I mentioned a knee injury, and I apologize for that. It was a calf strain. Um, but still, the point is is that it absolutely has limited uh, Joe Burrow what he has been able to do. He just has not been able to step up into the pocket. He has not been able to really drive off of his foot and create the velocity on his throws. And this is not a massively strong arm quarterback. His game, like the aforementioned Brock Purdy, the San Francisco 49ers, is actually more about anticipation 
action, anything. And I, I watched the all 22 of uh, the Bengals victory over the Arizona Cardinals. And what I saw was a quarterback who was throwing much more on rhythm, much more anticipation than we had seen over the first couple of weeks of this season, which is so impressive about that is the fact that, of course, one of his most dynamic receivers, T. Higgins, has been out. So to me, what this kind of comes down to is the Seahawks had better be concerned about this. If you're going to try and blitz Joe Burrow, then you would better get home because, again, he is anticipating the holes, the windows. He's got an absolutely dynamic receiver. Even if T. Higgins is not on the field, Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd are absolutely spectacular players. Um, and, and, again, when we get down to the, the conversation here as far as the, the matchup Wednesday, uh, you know, Jamar Chase, of course, is going to be one of the headlines that we absolutely have to focus in on. His ability to spin off of would-be tacklers, to me, is one of the biggest concerns uh, of where the Seahawks have. They, they've been impressive, in my opinion, so far this season, but it is one of the, the big tests that they're going to have to be able to master, ace um, in this performance, or this game against the Cincinnati Bengals, or they could wind up leaving Ohio with another loss. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the blitz aspect with Joe Burrow because he has always been a good quarterback if not great quarterback against the blitz. But with that calf injury in the first four weeks, according to PFF, he was 31st in the NFL on quarterbacks in completion percentage. He was dead last in yards per attempt, and he only had one touchdown pass against the blitz. So teams were having success sending extra rushers. They were doing it frequently because they knew he couldn't move around the pocket. But this last week against Arizona, he completed almost 87% of his throws against the blitz with a touchdown. He was absolute money. So Joe Cool being back in business, the Seahawks, you got to be careful how much you – try to get after him because blitzing might not be working in your favor at this point because that's been a strength in his game. And now that he's getting healthier, you're seeing that on the field. Another thing that's worth noting here, this Bengals offense, Joe Mixon's a fantastic running back, but they have really had their issues getting the running game going this year. And there's a couple things behind that, Rob. They are in the bottom 10 in the NFL right now, both in yards before and yards after contact running the ball. So their line's not creating holes. Joe Mixon and company are getting hit earlier than most teams when they have the ball in their hands. They haven't been able to create much after their 18th in run block grade for pro football focus, 23rd in run block win rate. So I think the line has been the biggest issue. This is not a line that has been built to be mauling and physical at the point of attack. They have tried to build this line to be able to protect Joe Burrow because that is the bread and butter for this offense. And there's a reason that they are third in the NFL with 69% pass rate on first down and they play wide open 80 plus percent shotgun reps, mostly at 11 personnel with one back, three receivers and a tight end. They are looking to be aggressive with the passing game. And some of it's been because that run game just has not been there for them this year, at least consistently. Well, I, I again, I would push back on that just a touch. We talked about this, uh, you know, prior to recording here. I think that part of that, Corbin, is the fact that just who they've played at this point. Um, you know, they they played a Cleveland Browns uh, team in the rain in the opener. Um, they they played uh, Baltimore Ravens, who of course have a formidable front. I don't care what the statistics say; they are still formidable. They played Tennessee Titans, and they played an LA Rams team, of course, that beat the Seahawks at Lumen Field. So uh, as well 
well as the Arizona Cardinals, of course, when things really got going better for them. I, I think that the statistics are a touch misleading. You know, Pete Carroll talked about this before. Teams are still trying to get an identity. Now, are the, the Cincinnati Bengals a dominant running game? No, they're, they're going to focus in on Joe Burrow and that dynamic passing attack. So I think the statistics make sense here, but I do think that uh, we have to caution ourselves too much into just believing that this is a Bengals team that cannot run the football. They have played a pretty fearsome set of fronts so far. The Seahawks might be the most fearsome. Statistically, the Seahawks are the best front that the uh, that the the Cardinal, excuse me, that the Bengals have played to this point. I'm just curious to see if those statistics for both the Seahawks and the Bengals actually play out this Sunday as well. Yeah, this is going to be a good litmus test for both teams. And as we've talked about, you know, it's been four games, but there's still that little bit of reservation. Are the Seahawks going to be able to hold up long-term against the run? Are they going to be able to play against teams like this that have such a great passing game that it could open things up for the ground game? And Joe Mixon, again, is a very good running back. Just hasn't had a lot of help from his offensive line so far. So that's going to be interesting to watch going into this game. Now, on the defensive side of the football The Bengals have been aggressive just as the offense has been throwing the football. They have been aggressive getting after the quarterback. Now, the blitzing percentage, they are seventh in the NFL right now in blitz percentage. That hasn't necessarily paid off with pressures. They are in the bottom third of the NFL in pressures. So that's part of the reason they've been blitzing as much as they have been. They have not been able to get home consistently like they have the last couple of years with players like Trey Hendricks, though he had a big game in Arizona. That might have woke up too <laughs> in the desert. Uh, the, the Seahawks may be dealing with a front line that's starting to figure things out as well. There's a lot of talent there, but they've been using players like Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt at linebacker. They've been blitzing those guys a lot, and both of them have been effective. They've also got a really good second-year safety in Dax Hill, who has the ability to come up and blitz. He can drop back. He is a do-it-all safety Hilton in the slot can blitz and has a history of being a really effective slot blitzer. So the Bengals have a lot of talented players in their back seven that can get after the quarterback blitzing. So Geno Smith, the offensive line, whoever's out there this week, they're going to need to be prepared because the Bengals are going to bring pressure from a lot of different places in part out of necessity. Well, out of necessity, I think because they are just have an aggressive mindset. And again, they've been trying to protect the offense that obviously has been struggling with some injuries, the quarterback and the wide receivers. Um, Trey Hendrickson, to me, is, is really where this kind of game is, you know, starts and ends in terms of Seattle trying to uh, hold up in terms of the pass rush. We'll talk more about that uh, on Wednesday's matchup. Uh, but you know, right now, he is, I believe, third in the NFL in terms of sacks, and the Bengals have not been up in very many football games so far. So theoretically, he has not had nearly as many pass rush opportunities as if the Bengals have been up. So again, to me, that is a significant thing here. Um, That's one of the things that I I, frankly feel pretty confident in in what Geno Smith has demonstrated and his ability also to anticipate, to read some of the blitzes coming. The Seahawks offensive line has played very, very well uh, so far in terms of pass protection this season, despite all of the injuries that they've had. We talked about this a, mo- a couple of moments ago we think that there might be a, a splashy performance from jackson smith and jig but coming perhaps this is the game coming back to the state of ohio where of course as a member of the buckeyes he was an absolute superstar this to me would be 
one of those opportunities because I agree with you. The Bengals have talent along the defensive line and linebacker. That back seven has some playmakers. They've also struggled with some durability in their secondary. However, their best corner, at least in my opinion, Wuze from uh, previously played his college ball at Colorado and then played with the Dallas Cowboys. He has been out with injuries. So to me, that is something that the Seahawks might be able to exploit in this football game. I look at the run game, and I mentioned the Bengals have not had much success running the football. They have really struggled defending the run this year. They are in the bottom five in the NFL for yards per carry. They have given up the second most rushing yards, and this is what should get Ken Walker the third and Zach Charbonnet and probably offensive coordinator Shane Waldron excited as well. They have given up more 12-plus yard runs. That's what Pete Carroll calls an explosive run. They've given up more 12-plus yard runs than any team in the NFL so far this year. So not only have they been gashed on the ground with big games, they have given up a lot of explosives explosives on the ground. So even though they've got some talent at linebacker and on that front line, this has been a defense where teams like the Titans, they were able to get King Henry rolling in that game, and they beat down on the Bengals. If the Seahawks have their offensive line healthier as they expect it's going to be going into this game, and we'll be talking about this, I'm sure, tomorrow on Matchup Wednesday, but this is an opponent where it feels like you can get that snowball rolling a little bit in the run game, and if you're able to really pound the rock, you could make life difficult for this defense because that has been a problem for them all year. And before James Conner got hurt the other day, the Cardinals were doing the same thing. So this is a defense that has been very vulnerable to the run, and I think that is going to be something that's going to be crucial for the Seahawks heading into this football game. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. We had a perfect segue there to cap things off. It's Matchup Wednesday tomorrow. Rob and I will be dishing out our thoughts on key matchups, positional battles on offense and defense for the Seahawks and Bengals. You'll want to make sure to be tuning in. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.